Amen. Amen. You should be in the book of Acts right around verse 17 of chapter 20. Can I just encourage you also uh, to be reading throughout this week? This is Passion Week. On a Sunday many, many years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was Palm Sunday. I would encourage you when you go home today to read Matthew chapter 21. If you're a note taker, jot that down. Matthew 21 and continue in the gospel of Matthew until you get to chapter 28 throughout Passion Week. And just focus on what Jesus did during that week. Some great studies out of that week in Jesus' life. One tidbit just to consider. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he did what he did. They praised him in Hosanna's name and, and he went about his business. He never stayed in Jerusalem throughout that whole week. He left Jerusalem, the holy city. He left Jerusalem every night and went back to Bethany. and stayed at his friend's house. And then every morning would go back into Jerusalem during that high and holy week. Something to consider. What was he avoiding? What, what was repelling him away? What religious system was he not a part of in Jerusalem at that time? So that's your extracurricular homework assignment this week if you want to uh, focus with, with me and with others uh, starting in Matthew 21. But for today's study, and next week we'll also talk about the resurrection but today we're in Acts chapter 20, verse 13, is where we'll begin. I'm going to say something at the beginning of this, this sermon, at the introduction, that, that is not necessarily, at least in my reading of the scriptures, theologically sound. Okay, I don't even know if it's theologically true. But I've seen it proven. You understand? I say it that way because the first time I heard it said, that's how the speaker, my pastor, said it. He said, I'm going to say something, I don't even know if it's biblically true, but it's just... I've seen it happen. And here's what he said. I'll say it to you. Some people just get saved better than others. Does that mess with you? A little bit? Let me, let me unpack that. Some people, they just, they get saved better than others. This is apparently, okay? You just see this in people's lives. You've seen a person get saved and then all of a sudden they stop doing certain things kind of instantaneously and maybe they step up to other avenues in their faith kind of instantaneously, and they start to progress in their relationship with God and start to find themselves developing rather rapidly. And it's like, wow, that person got saved real good. Now, again, I, I preface, that's not theologically true because if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, hey, you're on the same team and on the same level as every single Christian who's been saved by the blood of Jesus, okay? The playing fields are equal because of Jesus. Get that through your mind. But... Imagine the Apostle Paul, who we're studying, okay, in the book of Acts at this point. He gets saved. What's the first thing Paul did? Now, remember, he had in his hands requirements of Christians in order to arrest them and kill them. That's where he was. He was on the opposite side of Jesus' team one day. And then he gets saved, and three days later, what's he want to do? Plant churches. Within three days, he's like, yeah, was I killing Christians 72 hours ago? How weird is that? Let's go gospelize people. You know, let's go tell people about Jesus. And it's like, really? That quick? You're, just, you're, you're leaving one post and joining with another? That's what happened with Paul. And he never stopped pursuing the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting churches and making disciples. Would you say he got saved pretty good? Okay, I just use that term to mess with you guys a little bit and, and think this through. Because we've been studying the last two weeks. This is week three now what I would call some leadership style teachings, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be one who's growing in Christ, who's taking the call of Christ seriously. Now, again, when you hear the word leader, some of you younger people or some of you people without as much investment into God's kingdom say, yeah, 
okay, that's fine about leadership, but what about me? And I want to, again, level the playing field and say, if you're a Christian, you're a leader. You're a leader of somebody. You're a leader of something. You may not get a microphone. You may not come up on stage. You may not have a Bible study, but you're a leader in God's army. And so the stuff we've studied the last two weeks is very important. I would encourage you, download the teachings, stream them, watch them again, read this section, because Paul is in Ephesus, and he calls all of his key leaders together. And he says, guys, I'm never going to see you again. I've been here for three years, loving on people, planting churches. I love these people so much. And because I love them so much, I'm going to take the key leaders and I'm going to pour into them and I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to tag team them. You're it. Now go love on these people until you die because I'm going to go over here and die. And it's leadership stuff. Now, if you were to look at me right now, let me just ask a question. Do you guys, would you consider me a leader based on what you see? Okay, here's, here's a few things that would clue you in. The microphone, okay. I'm on stage, and I'm like 35 inches off the ground. If I fall, I'll get hurt. You know, I'm up front. Okay, that, those are kind of like indicators that make, make that more obvious. But let's look at some less obvious things. Do I have a ring on my finger? I do. Okay, so I'm a leader. I'm a leader of my home. Do I have any kids? You guys know me well? I got three kids, so I'm a leader. Okay, uh, do I have any siblings in my life? I, I do, so I'm a leader. Do I have any neighbors in this town? I do, so I'm a leader. Am I a taxpayer? Some of you, not, not all you guys are taxpayers. You should be, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you're, you're a community member. We're leaders. Each one of us is leading and are leaders in one frame or fashion or another. Now I say that again because the common misnomer in the church is that there's the pro-Christians, the professionals, the ones that get paid to do what they do. And then there's the rest of us who just cheer them on. I love my church, I love the elders, I love the staff, I love the Sunday school, I love the deacon, and we cheer them on, and then we check out, because we know that it's going on down there at the church, or it's happening. I need you guys to get fueled and get encouraged on Sundays like this in the last two, and go home and say, all right, check your pulse. Say, Lord, thank you for this pulse. Are you kidding me? With this pulse comes a purpose, and with that purpose comes a prize, and the Bible says that prize is the upward call of Christ Jesus to pursue it. This is so important because, again, we, we tend to check out. We tend to forget that we're leaders. We see people who got saved better than others. And we compare ourselves to them and say, man, I'm so glad they're running the race so well. Good for them. What's on ESPN? You know, March Madness is on ESPN, by the way. I know very well. Anybody had a good bracket going right now? Anybody's bracket is broken as mine? Anyways, sorry for distracting you with that one. Let me just tell you something about leadership also. The goal of leadership, and there's two goals within leadership, or two, two positions. One is leading, and one is being led. Okay, when I say the word leadership, you should think of how you're leading the people behind you, and how you're being led by the ones in front of you. This is very simple to me. The, the key goal in leadership is to keep moving forward. Okay, write that down or memorize it, okay? Just keep moving forward. If you're a leader and you wonder what to do with the people behind you, just encourage them, keep them moving forward. Okay, I got three kids and all day long it's like just one task at a time. You know, okay, we're up now. Let's get, you know, dressed. Okay, that took like 10 hours, okay, let's get fed now, let's get some food, and it takes another three days to get food in, you know, it's just moving forward, one day at a time, okay, but if you're not necessarily seeing yourself as a leader, maybe you just haven't owned that yet, 
you're being led. Can I just encourage you? Your goal right now is to be moving forward. Be one who's looking ahead. This may be physical leadership, that is people like myself are involved in your lives or other people, or it may be social, it may be digital, maybe you're watching sermons online, maybe you're reading books, maybe Zig Ziglar's your leader or whatever, these other people. Just move forward. It's that simple, okay? When Paul got to these dudes, he's all, I'm leaving. Now, we're not gonna get through the whole text. I've told you that's gonna take two or three weeks. As we get through the text, Paul's gonna warn them in his final words. And he says, oh, by the way, guys, when I leave, ravenous wolves are gonna come in and they're gonna seek to undo everything I've done. Just so you know, like, hey, good luck. Good luck, and he encourages them to keep moving forward because if you just stand there, you're wolf meat. It's not gonna go well for you. You've got to keep moving forward, watching the Lord, leading, being led, and knowing that if you're leading people, just encourage them to move forward, okay? Now, Paul's on his third missionary journey. Uh, As we've been studying through this, I've been talking about what it means to be a believer, moving from a believer to a disciple, to a deacon, to an elder, etc. Those are all on the past teachings. I want you to get that. But today we're going to see some attributes. We're actually going to get into the text of the study and move through and see. Because Paul says this, you know, you ever heard that saying, uh, do as I say, not as I do? No one ever says that, okay? That's ridiculous. But a lot of people tell you what to do and then do the exact opposite. Paul is able to say, guys, I've been telling you what to do for three and a half years. And by the way, have you noticed that I'm doing it? Have you seen that about me? Have you seen my commitment? Jesus was the king in this environment. He would teach parables to his disciples. He would teach them to trust in God. You know what Jesus would do right after the teaching? He would always implement a testing. He was a good teacher. When he would teach the disciples something, they would nod and listen and highlight and underline and memorize just like you guys and say, okay, cool, great service, Jesus. And then he would test them. And then he would prove himself to them during that test. Okay, he taught it and modeled it. Paul does the same thing. He taught people and he modeled it. So we're gonna look and be encouraged from Paul's life as we study this out and see some of the characteristics of a leader that is one who's being led or one who is leading others. Verse 17 again says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. Miletus is 30 miles from Ephesus. Ephesus is where he planted all these churches, the geographical location. He bypasses Ephesus, lands in Miletus and sends a message. Now, what was that message like? Was it a text message? I don't think they had that. It was probably dial up internet. Wouldn't that be funny? No, it was even worse than that. It was a message. Somebody had to run over there and say, hey, Paul's here. He's been sailing around. He's going to Jerusalem. He's not gonna come to Ephesus and he wants you guys, you elders, to come meet him in Miletus. Now, just imagine you get that message. You're an elder, you're serving in the church, but you're also working a job. You're raising your family, you're a responsible citizen, you're paying your taxes, mowing your lawn, washing your boat, doing what you do. And you hear the message, Paul wants me to meet him in Eddyville? And he wants me to walk there? Can he just, can you go for me? Is he gonna write a letter? Is, it gonna be, is Luke there? Because Luke's writing this stuff down. Do I really have to be there? One of the first things that I see as a characteristic in a leader or as a growing Christian, okay, if you don't wanna use that term, a growing Christian is availability. Availability. It's been said before that the greatest ability of anybody is availability. Because if you have all kinds of gifts and all kinds of knowledge and talents, but you're just not available, guess what? 
doesn't really matter. One of the first things that I look for in my own life, if I'm being effective for the kingdom of God, is if I've become too busy. I've said it before, you've heard it from others. If Satan can't make you bad, a real bad person, and disqualify you that way, he'll just make you uber busy. He'll make you so, as Jesus said, distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that your little life in Christ doesn't have time to produce fruit. Now this, I could camp on this, I'm choosing not to, but I could camp on this in our American culture where we are addicted to busyness, at least most of us are. Addicted to doing, addicted to other things and clubs and groups and opportunities and uh, all kinds of things we find ourselves busy. And I would just encourage you, if you're serious about Christ and growing, you need to avail yourself, make yourself available to what God wants in your life. Don't get so crowded by all the things of this world that you become fruitless that there's nothing of you, no substance. Just watch your availability factor, okay? It's very important. And, and as you desire to be more involved in Christ, you'll actually start to say no to things. Anybody in here have a hard time saying no to stuff? You can raise your hand with me. I have a hard time saying no. I just say yes, I commit. I think, I, oh, oh, I can't let them down. I need to, and I, and I start to overcommit myself. And then I become unavailable for certain aspects, okay? Availability. Not just availability, but commitment. These guys had to walk. 30 plus miles to go meet Paul, leaving their families, leaving their duties, walking 30 miles. I remember one time I did a race, it was 31.2 miles, okay? A little bit farther than these guys. These guys are lazy. <laughs> Not at all. I ran 31.2 miles. It was a 50 kilometer race in Ashland up in the mountains. And Eddie Townsend, he's here somewhere behind this beam in the blind spot. Uh, him and I trained for about, I don't know, maybe a week prior to doing this. And uh, we got rookie of the year, most foolish people on the mountain award and shouldn't have been there, done that kind of thing. And these guys had commitment though. They had to dig down deep in order to do this. Some of you guys, some of my tendencies, look at what's being asked of me the opportunities to be a disciple following Christ, to be a discipler, grabbing people, letting them come into my circle. And sometimes I look at that, I think, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of commitment. Be a lot easier just to check out. Be a lot easier just to protect myself. Be a lot, because the commitment's so difficult because it's gonna require something. A friend of mine, he's a pastor uh, in Southern Oregon. His name's PK, children's author as well. Some of you probably have his books. He was getting involved in the ministry at the Applegate Christian Fellowship and he approached John Corson, one of my mentors, and he said, hey, I, I feel led to the ministry. I think, I, I think God's called me to be a pastor or an elder or something, man. So John Corson looked at him and said, awesome, great. Here's what I want you to do. You guys know John Corson. I'm trying to do my best John Corson impersonation. Here's what I want you to do. And he said, come to church and pray for people at all the services. Come before the services begin and stay after and just pray for as many people as you can. And PK willingly said, awesome, what service? And he said, all of them. And PK said, wait, there's, there's five services on a Sunday here at the church right now. And John smiled and said, I know, all those people need prayer. Come to each service and pray five services in a row, sit through the teaching, come before, stay after and pray for people because that's what an elder does. That's what a pastor will do. And PK shared that story with me as I considered joining the ministry myself following God's call. And I just use that as an illustration. There's gonna be a commitment. There's gonna be a commitment. You've heard it said, soon this life will pass. All things and only things done for Christ will last. You realize that? Jesus said, store your treasure in heaven. Okay, send it forward. 
Do what you do for the glory of God because it's gonna last forever, okay? Everything else that you do that's selfish, that's, that's twisted, that's tweaked in other things, they're just gonna kind of be bubbles. They're just gonna disappear. Now, this doesn't mean you need to stay at the church 24 hours a day and just pray for the chairs when no one's here, okay? That doesn't, that doesn't, that's not what I'm saying. But some of you need to reconsider your ability to commit or even your willingness because we live in a culture that has, has sold us our bill of rights and said, I don't, I don't need to do anything that I don't want to do. These guys, they were available and they committed. Let's keep reading this through because it says in verse 18, and when they had come to him, available and committed, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Here Paul is with these guys who've been examining him. Anytime a new guy shows up on the scene, usually the guys around are gonna look at him and say, right from the get-go, are you the real deal? Are you real stuff? I remember my first Sunday at South Beach Church. First Sunday, we were meeting at the Yaquinaview School. And a gal who loves this church, probably more than most, came up to me that day, Yaquinaview School, gave me a big hug and said, Luke, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're here. I smiled and I was excited and encouraged. And then she stepped back a little bit, smile still on her face and said, don't hurt us. Don't hurt us. And smiled and walked off. <laughs> this is right before I was about to preach. My first thought is egocentrical, like, oh, my teaching's that bad. Oh no. Her implication was, is, hey, are you here? Are you here? Because we've been jerked around a little bit. And there's been some people who've come in and left and it's just kind of been, it, it happens in church life. You've seen that probably. She said, hey, if you're gonna be here, we love it, just be gentle with us, just commit. Paul here says, guys, remember when I showed up? And they would all think back, yeah, it was like three and a half years ago. And Paul would say, yeah, remember? I, I'm the same now as I was then. I showed up all in, guys, and I stayed all in. I've gotta go now. He wasn't just leaving, hitting the eject button. He's saying, I gotta go. I don't know what's coming, he'll say in a few verses, but I gave you everything from the very minute I got here. I staked my flag in the ground and it said all in. Okay, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, do you? When Paul showed up, he was about Jesus Christ. New on the block. You ever been somewhere new, maybe traveling, maybe just around, uh, maybe moving to a new state or a couple of us who are moving around, uh, leaving the church here and going to different cities. And I always encourage people as you leave and move and relocate, right when you get there, establish yourself as a Christian. Right when you get there. Maybe you're just going on vacation, checking into a hotel. Maybe you're a business person and you travel, okay? I encourage you, first person you meet, just tell them, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus because no one knows you and you don't have to say that. You know that? You can just kind of ride low under the radar. No one expects anything from you. But when you like Paul show up and say, yeah, I'm, I'm on vacation or I'm relocating, whatever, I'm on mission. There's a family in the back there. I won't mention their names. And they emailed us prior to moving here from the Midwest and said, hey, we've been watching online. We're about to relocate because of work. And as soon as we get there, we want to plug in. We don't want to go dark. We don't want to go under. From the very beginning of our adventure, we're going to stay tuned. This is what Paul was able to say to them. And he says again, verse 18, he says, you know from the first day that I came in Asia in what manner I always lived among you. If you have a King James version, it says through all seasons. The implication is that in the three and a half years that he was there, there were seasons that were easier to stay committed, to stay available to stay a Christian, and there were other seasons that were difficult. 
If you're a seasoned Christian, that means you've been a Christian for longer than 30 days. You know that there's been seasons, right? Okay, it's easy sometimes to come to church, raise your hand, give your time, talent, and treasure, and just be stoked on Jesus. And then other times, it's a spiritual word we use called spiritual warfare, where it just is difficult. It's different. You're not quite sure if you're all in anymore, if it feels good, or if you want to read your Bible, or if you feel saved, or feel like loving your spouse, or feel like disciplining your body. You been there yet? If you haven't, you're still on your honeymoon. That's awesome for you, but pretty soon you're going you're gonna to go through a season, okay? Paul says, every season, every season, guys, I was with you, and I lived among you, and I stayed the course. Look at verse 19. This is key, by the way. I was texting with my wife during worship. Is that a sin? Yeah. Depends. I was in the back room, so it's kind of okay. And I asked her to pray for me. I said, I need you to pray for me. I said, I feel some spiritual warfare this morning. I want to be effective for, for the king. And she said, I will. She began to then encourage me through her texts. And she reminded me in her text, she said, he's already won. He's won the battle. Your job, Luke, here's what she said in less words than I'm using now. Your job is to please him. Doesn't matter what anything goes on through your mind. Your job is to be pleasing to him. And I was reminded, that's it. This whole thing we're doing today, this whole thing we're doing later today called life is just to be pleasing to the king to be an offering to him. Look at what he says in verse 19. He's given his testimony. He's saying, guys, I've been here in the same season serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Serving the Lord. I have that circled here because that was what kept Paul in the game. He quickly tags onto this verse, tears, trials, plotting. That means it didn't go well for him all the time. Paul showed up and preached Jesus, loved on people, and got smacked in the face for it. Oh, that hurt. And he got whipped on the back, and he got scoffed and mocked and ridiculed and rejected for what he decided to do, the commitment that he had. It wasn't easy for Paul to be Paul, but you know what kept him locked in? Who he was doing it for. If, if you're really wanting to take this thing seriously and serve God come hell or high water or whips or chains or rejection, if you really want to do this right, you've got to have your focus not on the church, not on your, the people around you, not on the need in the Sunday school room. Those kids need you so bad. Serve because we have a need. Tell people about Jesus because hell's real because of them and because of eternity. If that's the reason you serve, you will fail because those things around you will fail you. If I encourage you to sign up for something or to be a, a growing Christian, you're like, Luke, Luke said we should be a disciple, doing things on purpose and growing in Christ. And, and Luke, man, he's, I think he's right. He's on stage. They don't just let anybody on stage. And because Luke said it, I'm gonna do it. That's gonna last about as long as you get to the parking lot. And you're gonna forget about Luke because I'm forgettable. It's not about me. But if you, like Paul says, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. I do Sunday school for the Lord, okay? I do my morning quiet time for the Lord. I love my spouse and forgive my spouse for the Lord. I lead my kids and I'm an example for my kids for the Lord. I love my neighbor. I serve my neighbor for the Lord. I don't do certain things and I abstain from the flesh for the Lord. And I pursue 
godliness and edification and righteousness for the Lord. That will keep you grounded, okay? Next time you put a post on Facebook and you check it to see how many comments or likes you got, just ask yourself, did the Lord like that? Who cares if everyone else does or doesn't? I'm serious. You do what you do, whether it ends up on a stage or ends up in a parking lot, wherever it is, to please the Lord. And you're gonna have a great life. You're gonna have a great life. By the way, it's pretty easy to please the Lord. I'm honest. It is pretty easy to bring pleasure to the Lord. God is not the Godfather, okay? He's Father God. When my, Acacia, my, my two-year-old, she's gonna be two in May. When she comes out of the den, having dressed herself, she's not yet two. When she comes out having dressed herself with two or three t-shirts on that she's pulled on uh, backwards and a t-shirt around her neck hanging off and she comes in and sees me, says, dad, look. She doesn't say anything because she can't talk, but she has that look in her eyes. I'm dressed, okay? I give her a timeout because she did it wrong. <laughs> no, I don't. I take out my phone and I take a hundred pictures of it. So I love it. It's awesome. So cute. It can't get any cuter than that. It's not hard to please me, even though she's not even doing it right at all. Okay? Know this. To please the Lord, the Bible says you do what you do by faith. It's impossible to please the Lord apart from faith, the Bible says. In other words, you do what you do and you trust that it's enough because God is bigger than your best efforts. You just do what you do and you glory like Paul did. Paul gloried in two things. That means he was so stoked about two things. One was the cross. That was his ticket in. <laughs> the cross, I boast on the cross. And then he boasted about his imperfections, his infirmities, his weaknesses because that's what gave him the recipient badge. He received the cross, okay? A lot of us think that in Christianity or in life, we need to do well in order to get approval from God. God says, no, no, no. That's man-centered, that is religion-based, that's fear-based. God came and did it all. And when you by faith believe that and then step out on the water like Peter did, when you do what you do like Daniel did, when you live obediently like Jeremiah did, it doesn't matter what the results are. If God is happy, if God hits like on your status or comments on your post, you're in. Jeremiah, I just mentioned his name. God gave him a command to preach his word to a God-rejecting culture. And when he preached the word, you know what they said to him? They said, really? God said that? Let me see it. And so he gave him God's word that he just wrote down. And he ripped it up and threw it on the ground and said, get out of here, you idiot. And Jeremiah left and said, well, I didn't go very good. And God said, I know, come here. God took Jeremiah and said, write it down again and go give it back to him. And Jeremiah's like, really? Really? You think that's gonna work, God? God said, I'm not asking if it's gonna work. I'm asking you to trust me. So Jeremiah wrote it down again and gave it back to him. They did the same thing. They put him in prison and rejected him. Ultimately, he'd get his head cut off. Okay? Was God pleased in his effort? Jeremiah was very frustrated, by the way, during his life. Jeremiah, at one point, I believe it's chapter 17 of his book, said, this is horrible. Everywhere I go, they reject what I'm saying. They reject me. I don't even want to do this anymore. I'm paraphrasing. I don't want to do this anymore. He went on to then talk himself back into it. He said, but your word is shut up in me like fire. It's in my bones. I can't stop talking about it, even though they're not accepting it. It's not working. The results aren't very fun. 
He did it for the Lord. He did it for the Lord. Can I just encourage, this is so exciting to me. Last night I was just pondering some of these truths and thinking about my life, my pursuit of godliness, personally, Luke Frechette, and how I live for Jesus. And listen, I'm honest enough to say this, and how I don't live for Jesus. The battle that rages in my personality. Y'all got battles in your personality? If you don't, there's other churches you can join. (laughs) This is the one that is for those who battle, okay? And are honest enough to say, yeah, I boast in the cross and I boast in my infirmities and I battle, I fight. And as I considered my battles and how I resist sin and temptation, consider this. The object of your affection, what you are going after, must supersede and become more important than that which you're being tempted to take part in or to stumble along with or to be distracted by or to invest everything you have in. Your object of your affection has got to be greater. But let me tell you what happens when it is. When you're tested and when you're struggling and when you're feeling thin and wanting to throw in the towel and you set firmly your eyes upon Jesus, I'm serious when you consider Jesus, when you look to Jesus, when you consider truth, if you're anything like me, all of a sudden, your lungs get full, your chest fills, your mind races with imagery and understandings of the scriptures and what is true and what is not true, and you're reminded then and right there what's at stake and what Jesus has done, what he's gonna do, and what's gonna happen soon. And if, you, if you're like me, you battle though, you go through these down times and then you set, as the old song says, your eyes on Jesus. And the things of the world grow strangely dim. James says it this way. He says, resist the devil. And he'll what? He'll flee from you. That sounds pretty cool. What's the next verse? Draw near to the Lord, and he'll draw near to you. If you ever resist the devil so he'll flee from you, you've only done half the battling. That's just bought him a little bit of time, I guarantee you. If you resist the devil and he flees from you, it feels very religious and spiritual for about a minute. And then the devil looks at you and says, oh, he didn't draw near to the Lord. He's just resisting. That's only half the battle. And then he'll come back a different way, maybe even bring some friends, and then you're totally doomed. James says, resist, he'll flee. And then draw near to the Lord. When you draw near to the Lord, when you meditate on him, when you think of truth and reality and God's word, when you focus on eternity, everything changes. Everything changes. How could Paul do this for three and a half years in an environment that was not even friendly? He was so far from Jerusalem. If you know the map, he sailed, he walked, he journeyed for thousands of miles away, ended up in Gentile country, planted churches for the Lord. I've waxed eloquently, or maybe, maybe not eloquently, I've waxed long on this, this point. I want you to get it. If you, if you choose to serve at this church in any way, even if it means just showing up and loving people or going to a home church, or if you, you serve in any way in the community, if you're a leader, you gotta do it for Jesus Christ. Do it for him. The rewards will be eternal. The joy will be immediate. The strength will be yours from him and it'll make it worth it because you're his, by the way. You work for him. 
okay? I'm not the middleman between you and God. Nor is this church, nor is an elder, nor is anybody. Jesus Christ is the mediator between man and God. He's the one. He's the door. He's the one we have access through. He's the one we enjoy to get to God in that way. Paul knew that. I hope you, hope you learned something this morning about that. Let's keep reading a few more verses and then we'll worship. Serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul had this humility about him that even though he was the apostle Paul, people were drawn to him in order to find Jesus. Isn't pride gross? It's just gross. Okay, I try and wipe it off my face every day when I see it in the morning. No, it's just there. Pride's in, it's inside each one of us. It's just, it's gross. You ever been around somebody who's completely humble? And being humble is not when you're a pushover or when you're uh, a self-hater and you're just down on yourself. That's, not, that's called false humility. Okay, it's a different type of pride altogether. Okay, when you're truly humble... Being truly humble is having a real and accurate understanding of who you really are and that God still loves you, okay? Who you really are, which is kind of embarrassing, (laughs) and God still loves you and has gifted you and forgiven you and guaranteed you, and you're in this position going, are you serious? Like, I didn't do anything to deserve this, and I did everything to disqualify myself, and that's true humility, there's a couple people in, in here, and I, I, their names are written in my notes. They're at church here this morning, and I want to embarrass them. So I'm not going to say their name. I'm just going to do that. I'll talk to them later. And as I talk to these people, they're older. They've lived a life apart from God, saved by God, walking with God. And this particular individual who made my notes has done well in life and knows that it's by God's grace and knows it, and was one of the most humble, grateful, not a pushover, not a self-hater, but one who knows, God has been so good to me, and it is on accident that I have succeeded in anything, and God has poured his grace out upon me, and the humility that is in that individual is awesome. I just encourage you, be like Paul, just be humble, look for that humility that God loves you in spite of you. Again, some of us make the mistake of thinking that when I got saved or teamed up with Jesus, man, that was one of God's best moves he's made. (laughs) Christianity just moved up a notch. The Lord looks at those, that thinking and says, wow, okay, let's, let's, let's take a walk. Paul here says, it was with humility that I served. And by the way, I'm just gonna end on that thought because the, the humility that we explore during Passion Week and that we're going to enjoy communion in just a few minutes. Jesus Christ came as a, as a baby, okay? That's, does that seem humbling to you? Like as a baby, if you're going to come, why not come as like, you know, a king? Like right then and there. If you're, gonna, if you're God and you're going to show up to this race that has totally rejected you and messed everything up and you're going to save them by dying for them, why not come like victoriously, ready to go? Let me just say something. Whether Jesus came as a baby, you know, totally an invalid, just can't do anything, or if he came as a reigning king, a manly king, either way, the humility that it took to step down from being God and being God incarnate is something we'll never understand. We'll never get. We will never understand the humility that Jesus came in. And he came 
on a donkey. Not even a donkey on Palm Sunday. He came out on a donkey's baby. Chances are his feet were dragging on the ground. You know what I mean? It would be the equivalent, I heard this from another pastor, it would be the equivalent of instead of coming in on a Harley Davidson, coming in like on a moped. It's like, hey, hey, hey. is that a moped? Wow, it's kind of cool. Jesus came in humbly. It freaked everyone out, by the way. They killed him because of it. Even his disciples didn't get it. Their last question to him before he ascended, 40 days after his resurrection, last question was, you about to restore Israel now? Like, are you finally doing this thing? Trading in that moped for a hog? You know, are you gonna do this thing right? And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. My kingdom is not of this world. It's of another world, okay? It's not about setting everything up here and becoming boss hog and in charge and et cetera. Jesus said to his disciples, he asked him a good question. He said, do you guys want to be the greatest? Want to be the greatest? They did. He knew that. And so in their heart, they're thinking, yeah, thanks, Jesus. You saw that? I do want to be the greatest. He said, cool. Then you need to become the slave of everyone. You need to humble yourself. You want to be the most effective person in the world? Then serve people. If you were to go to a leadership training seminar and they were to pass out name tags, it would be wise if on that name tag, instead of saying your name, it said something along the lines of, it's not about me. That's the first ticket to leadership. It's not about me. In churches, in Christianity, in families, this is forgotten and seldom even understood. That it is about service. That it is about humility. Leading and loving on other people. I'm so glad this is in the text for us to study right now as this church grows and as we examine who we are in Christ in Newport. We are to be servants of those around us. Not those who elevate ourselves and update our statuses in order that people will like us more. Repent of that with me if that's your stumbling block. Seek to serve. Again, I'll talk about this during some of the teachings coming up on Friday and Sunday. When Jesus gathered with his disciples there on that Thursday night for the last supper, they all walked in with dirty feet. They all ate with dirty feet. That's not a Jewish custom. You get your feet clean before you eat. But there was no servants around. No servants at all. So Jesus, after supper, got up, put on a robe and said, guys, you've been with me for three years. You don't get it. So I'm gonna show you. I'm God, I'm gonna die, but before that, I'm gonna wash your dirty, stinky feet. Peter started to freak out a little bit and argue. Can you imagine Jesus Christ serving in that way you? I mean, I don't even let my kids touch my feet. Let's be honest, okay? Jesus says, let me wash your feet. Humility, others-minded. And by the way, this is my last thought. When you seek to put others ahead of you and put them and other things in front of you, guess who becomes the most blessed person in that scenario? I'm honest. It is you. It is you. When you seek to bless your spouse above you, serve them, meet their needs, explore their wants and desires and their lacks, you become blessed. When you seek to look at your kids who've taken everything from you, all of your freedom and time and energy and joy and given you gray hair, 
and seek to live and to breathe and to die for them and to serve, guess where the joy starts to grow? Right in your heart. When you drive on Highway 101 or Highway 20 or go to work and seek to be a blessing to the people around you, you're the one who gets stoked. I guarantee it because Jesus Christ is quoted in this portion of scripture. Verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus loves you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be not just a consumer, but a contributor, one who gives back, because in that you'll find your life changed and transformed. So everyone put an imaginary name tag on that says, it's not about me. Okay? It's not about me, and you'll find yourself blessed. Let's stand. I'm going to have the worship team come on back up. I've gone too long yet again. They need to get a different teaching pastor who pays attention to the rules. They're bringing communion up right now, and we get a chance to, again, celebrate the resurrection. We're going to celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but we celebrate it every Sunday. As you come forward and take communion, if you're a believer in Christ, this communion is for you to remember what Christ has already done for you, to celebrate, to say, thank you, Jesus, for paying my tuition. You ever gone to a a schooling setting, whether it's college or some other sort of courses where you have to pay for the education? Okay? If someone pays for you, sometimes you just kind of squander those days. But if you've ever paid yourself, you've written the check for your own education, usually you take it a little more seriously. You think, okay, this is my dime. I'm gonna make sure I do this right. Listen, your education on earth, your failures, the lessons you're learning right now, they've been paid for, completely paid for. The syllabus has been written for your life. God has committed to you to be your counselor, your advisor, your instructor, your professor. And he doesn't fail. And so when we take communion, when we come together and remember and celebrate, I want you just to do that, celebrate. Last week, I'll be honest, this is house rules now. Last week, we had it, it got gummed up here a little bit. When you come down these aisles, try and go out the outside aisles. We've created aisles out there now. We're, we're still trying to get into our new digs here and how that works. So I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna take communion together, and I'll be on this side of the stage praying for folks if you'd like prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for letting us lead at all. Lord, most of us here this morning would say, can't even do anything right. My whole life's a failure. Lord, may we remember that Paul had in his backpack letters of condemnation for Christians just three days prior to his salvation. And his life was changed. Lord, I pray that we would seek to be lovers of other people. Thank you for my friends here, Lord. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing. We just want to co-op with you. We can't do it alone, though. We don't even want to try to do it alone. If we do it alone, independence, I believe independence apart from God is is a sin in and of itself. Self-willed, self-governed, self-motivated. Lord, I, I believe that that's not appealing to you. You want us to look to you, cling to you, receive from you. 
bless this time of communion as we repent, as we receive, as we remember. And just help us. Thank you for this time in the Word. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll be on this side if you want to get prayer or give your life to the Lord.